Funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Streetwise Athlone In this series, we learn about the old and recent history of the streets of Athlone, hear the thoughts and memories of locals and tourists, and the changes we might see in the future. Episode 5, Left Bank and Bastion Street. Historian Garrod O'Brien tells us about the history of the area. The Left Bank is a fairly modern name given to part of the town on the Connacht side, which has an old world character to it. And it's really known for its pubs and its restaurants and craft shops. And I suppose it's a very trendy part of the town. Part of the left bank would be Fry Place, a terrace of four Regency houses which face into Main Street and towards the Shannon. Architecturally, they're among the finest buildings in Athlone. They take their name from the Fry family, who settled here in the mid-18th century. Fry Place was built in 1806 on the site of an old building which was known as the Mansion House. Curiously, the four houses are numbered from right to left. Fry Place originally consisted of three shops and one private residence. The building which now houses Pavarotti's restaurant was once a hardware shop until the Irish National Foresters moved here from Pier Street in 1922. The Ancient Order of Foresters was founded in 1834 as a benevolent society, giving benefits such as health insurance to its members. In 1877, the Irish National Foresters was founded as a breakaway group. These premises houses the Foresters Club for about 60 years and included, among other attractions, a licensed members club and a billiard saloon. With developments in public health care and the rise of credit unions, benevolent associations such as the Foresters were no longer needed. In the early 1980s, the members painstakingly restored the magnificent facade before winding up the local branch. One of the two RIC stations in Athlone was located in Fry Place. The other was the Brawny Barracks in Irishtown. The second premises in Fry Place had a long history as a bar and grocery. In more recent times, it is one of several popular pubs in the left bank. The third premises was built as a private residence. A local distiller, John O'Byrne, lived there in the early 19th century. In later years, it was the home of a local doctor, Dr. C.J. McCormack, whose son, J.D. McCormack, was an Irish international golfer with a career spanning 25 years from 1913 to 1938. In more recent years, this house was amalgamated with number four, which had been McFarlane's shop, to become the Left Bank Restaurant, a restaurant which had started its life in Bastion Street, but moved to Fry Place about 20 years ago. Bastion Street was once called the Royal Bastion, A bastion is a projecting part of a fortification built at an angle to the line of the defence work so as to allow defensive fire in several directions. While the east side of Athlone had a town wall, the west side was protected by a ditch or dyke. At this point there was a bastion which gave the street its name. The Bastion Gallery is one of the best known craft shops in Athlone. Unlike the east side, 
where portion of the town walls survive. We know very little about the defensive ditch which once protected the west side of Athlone. Connolly Street is called after James Connolly, one of the executed leaders of the 1916 Rising. Prior to that, it was called Queen Street, named for Queen Charlotte, the consort of King George III. However, it has an interesting past, and in the 18th century, it was generally known as Pudding Lane. It seems that given its proximity to the shambles, that some early residents here collected some of the unwanted offcuts of meat and offal and used them to make black and white pudding. The Bastion Gallery is a treasure trove of unique and wonderful wares situated in Bastion Street. The shop's most recent claim to fame is its visit by music legend Michael Jackson, who spent a couple of hours browsing in the store. The shop's owner, Katie McKay, tells us about a local music legend who spent a great deal of time in the very same building honing his craft under her great-grandfather Michael Kilkelly's tutelage, a century before the American singer's visit in 2006. So Michael Kilkelly was born in 1847 in Athlone. He was a musician, uh, a politician and a businessman and also the choir master in the old St. Peter's Church when John McCormack joined there as a schoolboy. He um, immediately um, recognised the quality of John McCormack's voice and for the next decade he did everything in his power to um, make sure that he reached his full potential. So this is an excerpt from Recollections of Old Athlone that was written by Michael Kilkelly and this is what he wrote about Bastion Street. It is a little more than 20 years ago that John McCormack resided at Goldsmiths Terrace. Whilst there, he joined the choir at St. Peter's Church and the excellent quality of his voice was at once admired by all who heard it. Amongst those admirers was a Mr. Kilkelly, who at once recognised the very superior and pure tenor quality his voice possessed. And he invited him to his house in Bastion Street and sought to impress upon him the importance of having such a voice as his properly trained. They had many discussions upon the subject and Mr Kilkelly recommended him to try and procure a situation no matter how humble in Dublin so that he might have the advantage of musical instruction as well as laying the foundation for proper training of his voice. John said that he was preparing for an examination to become an excise official and that his parents would object. This seemed a crux, but Mr Kilkelly still advised him that with the voice such as he possessed, he should lose no time and make every effort to have proper training. Some short time afterwards, as Mr Kilkelly was proceeding on business to the Southern Railway Station, Mr Andrew McCormack, John's father, met him and indignantly asked why he was trying to turn his minds off studying for his excise examination. Mr Kilkelly replied that he was sincere in recommending John to go for a career likely to place him in a position vastly more important. Mr McCormack then said, did Mr Kilkelly know that should John pass his examination, he would commence at £120 per annum? Mr Kilkelly replied that he repeatedly heard artists sing who did not possess voices half as good or so pure as John's and they were paid as much per week and sometimes for one night's performance. Mr McCormack just laughed derisively at this and hurried away to his factory. Not many months after, however, John had his name entered at the coming fesh in Dublin for the tenor solo contest, which he won triumphantly. And the remarkable quality of his voice so impressed the audience that he was loudly cheered 
and made such an impression upon the judges and music lovers that after the fesh, John McCormack's splendid voice was the subject of anxious discussion amongst his admirers. With this object, a large and influential committee was organised in Dublin, benefit concerts given so successfully that means were soon forthcoming and arrangements made for a sojourn in Italy under the training of an eminent master. His progress was such as to give his tutor the greatest satisfaction. He was soon acknowledged by the musical public as an artist of great promise and his splendid voice was heard in opera as well as in concerts by admiring audiences at home and abroad. His success in America was at first gradual, then increasing until he finally won the hearts of the American musical public. Whilst John was making his second tour of America, a Mr Cronin, who was a railway engineer, visited Mr Kilkelly and during his visit expressed a wish to see the Athlone Woollen Mills. Whilst going through, they came to a department where Mr Andrew McCormack was writing at his desk and as Mr Cronin was an enthusiastic admirer of John, Mr Kilkelly introduced him to Mr McCormack. Then during their conversation, the latter reminded Mr Kilkelly of their former unpleasant discussion of John's early prospects and he frankly acknowledged that he was wrong and Mr Kilkelly was right. Since then, John has gained a worldwide reputation as being the greatest tenor now living. Streetwise Athlone Historical research and presentation by Garrod O'Brien Additional research by Damien McCallan Interviews by Amanda Gunning, Ursula Ledwith, Mel Ray and Erica Follows-Smith. Editing by Kyle McCallan. Produced by Amanda Gunning. The additional contributor to this episode was Katie McKay. Funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.